dear listeners, and welcome to the Real Mom Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Shanita, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have you join us today. If you're a mom, you already know that motherhood is one of the most incredible journeys anyone can embark on. But let's be honest, it's not always the picture-perfect storybook experience we see on social media or on TV. Motherhood is messy, challenging, beautiful, all at once. That's why I've created this podcast, a safe space for real moms like us to come together and share our unfiltered, honest stories about the roller coaster ride that is motherhood. No filters, no sugarcoating, just real, raw, and relatable experiences. Every episode, we'll dive into the joys and struggles of motherhood from those sleepless nights that feel like an eternity to the heart melting moments that make it all worthwhile. We'll cover everything from pregnancy and childbirth to toddler tantrums, teen angst, and everything in between. Whether you've birthed your child, fostered your child, a bonus mom, whatever the case may be, this is the right place for you. Our goal is simple, to create a community where you can laugh, cry, nod your head in agreement as you listen to the stories of moms who've been there and done that. We'll also be featuring some amazing guest moms who will share their wisdom, advice, and tips to make your motherhood journey a little bit smoother. So whether you're a new mom struggling to figure it all out or a seasoned pro with years of experience, you're in the right place. This podcast is for every mom who's ever felt overwhelmed, underestimated, or just plain exhausted. And now let's dive into our very first episode where we'll each share our own personal motherhood stories. Get ready for tears, laughter, and a whole lot of I've been there too moments. Thank you for joining us on this journey. And remember, you are not alone. We're all in this together because together we are real moms sharing real experiences. So let's get started. Welcome to the Real Moms Experience. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, find a cozy spot, and let's dive in. Today's topic is from the heart, moms with children who have autism. We have the special guest, Miss Quinn, and we have Miss Danya. So I want to welcome you guys to the Real Moms Experience podcast. I'm not sure if you knew why I started the podcast. I did just have another child and I felt like there weren't a lot of real conversations regarding motherhood and some of the things that we deal with and some of the things that we may want information on. I feel like a lot of conversations are kind of sugarcoated. And I feel like it kind of sways our decision. I feel like if some com- if some parents or some mothers have true experiences from other mothers, it could make them make a more informed decision versus just going off a sugar-coated experience. So that is why I started the podcast. I'm really appreciative that you guys are joining. I'm really passionate about the conversation that, or the topic that we're going to be talking about today. A lot of parents really aren't aware of the true joys and struggles when it comes to autism and they don't really understand the scope of it because I honestly feel like I didn't understand it all the way so I'm really excited about this and I thank you guys and I want to start off by asking you can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a bit about your family hi um Dania I guess you can say professionally I'm Ia Dania I'm an Ifa priestess and a spiritual awakening doula for the diaspora. I am the mother of three awesome boys. Um, my oldest is currently an ancestor. So um, 
he would have been eight this year. And then his rainbow brothers are six and seven. Both of my sons are on the spectrum. And uh, oddly enough, for the last, I'm found out about one when I got pregnant with the other. <laughs> so that was an interesting thing. And I've been actually a single mother um, for the last three years on this particular journey. Oh yeah, and then I'm Augusta, Georgia. Yay, there you go. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. So Quinn, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about your journey as well? Certainly, certainly. certainly. I am Quinn. I have two littles. I have a four-year-old son who's on the spectrum and I have a seven-month-old daughter. Um, and in the midst of all of that, I have been divorced for a year now. Um, and I am also a nurse practitioner. So a lot going on in a short amount of time. So maneuvering life is, is interesting to say the least right now. I'm in the Grovetown, Augusta area as well. So I wanted to ask, could you guys tell us about your children with autism and when you first received their diagnosis? I know, Danya, you uh, specified that you received the diagnosis about one of your son's um, diagnosis when you were pregnant. But when did, so Quinn, when did you first receive your son's diagnosis and what was that experience like for you? So I first received his diagnosis um, at, he was two years old. Um, fortunately, I, I had kind of been watching him from about, from about five months old. Something was just, it was a little different, a little off. I can never really pinpoint it and put my finger on it. Um, and then when he turned about a year old is when I started noticing the repetition with things. Um, he was nonverbal. He would make um, sounds, pointed things, showing me that he recognized, but he was just having a lot of delayed communication and a hard time getting his point across. So I had kind of been watching him for a while and just, I mean, being in the medical field altogether, it was hard to not do a lot of self-evaluation with him. So I noticed it really early and I was, had talked to his pediatrician about it a lot, but it was at two when she actually was like, okay, yeah. Now I'm kind of starting to see the delay myself and we went for it with get, having him um, see a psychiatrist and actually receive the diagnosis. How was that experience for you? Like, what did you feel when you actually got the diagnosis? So I in so my very first, I guess, reaction to it was just kind of like, I kind of went directly to me. I was like, well, what did I, what did I do wrong? Or, you know, what could have possibly happened? Um, so at first it was shock, just kind of something different. But then from there, it was just, okay, now I've moved past the, you know, anything, anything is possible. Anything could happen into that phase of just what can I do to make his life as manageable as possible without handicapping him? What about you, Daniel? So I know you said you experienced or you received the diagnosis for your son while you were pregnant with your third son. But when did you receive the diagnosis for your third son? So if I can go back and like explain how Jaheem went, because it's actually different from Quinn. Um, Jaheem 
there were no, there was nothing. Um, in fact, Jaheen was actually ahead of schedule mm-hmm. for cognitive development. Like he was already making clear letter sounds and things like that. He was like, there's, it's, sometimes it's frustrating because Facebook will pop a memory up of Jaheen actually speaking. Like, you know what he's saying, speaking um, around the time he was close to one year old. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't anything that there was nothing amiss or awry with Jaheen. Um, sometime around um, 13, 14 months, I just remembered a couple of days where he was quiet. And I was like, and you know, around then I'm back working in the office and things like that. And so my, you know, my sister and my mom were watching him and I was like, I just reached out, I was like, yo, cause he's with them all day. So maybe he's like all talked out. I'm like, have y'all heard Jaheem say something recently? And they were like, uh, huh, you know what? No, like not a sound, like not a babble, not nothing. And he had been. And then I realized he was not responding to his name, not arbitrarily ignoring me like he's doing something, but there was nothing, there was no sign that if I said his name, he recognized that I was speaking to him. And that really stuck out to me because I started calling Jaheen Jaheen before he was even born. So he knew his name. He would always turn at bare minimum to his name from the moment he exited my body. So when he stopped, it stuck out to me. And this one, his father had been the one kind of taking him to the doctor's appointments. And I just remember taking him to this one appointment and he had a full, what I know know is a meltdown, full meltdown. Just, he didn't want to go in the door. It was just horrible. And I was like, yo, what's going on? Is this something he always does? And I'm like pregnant at the time. And then, you know, the doctor tells me, hey, I think your son may be um, autistic. And so he starts asking me some questions and he's like, yeah, he might be on the spectrum. Um, By that time, uh, I think that my best friend at the time, her son had only recently gotten a diagnosis. And so it was like, you know, like what I went through then, I went through the clinic, like did I do something wrong? Because what you find is that they'll say, if you're over maternal age, which I was, you're more likely to have a child on the spectrum. So I'm like, is this my fault? Like, was I selfish for wanting to have kids at this late stage in my life? Um, so I went through a lot, nice, heavy depression because I felt like I did it to him. Um, I didn't get an actual diagnosis of autism probably still for another year. Like Jelani was already born Went by the time I actually got a real, and I had to go to a psychiatrist as well to get the diagnosis because there's only one development specialist here and she didn't have any appointments until 2020. And so, wow. yeah, so I couldn't get a diagnosis in t- from her until then. I got the diagnosis for Jaheem the year before. And the only reason I got it is because um, I started a group for moms at work who had children on the spectrum and ended up learning that you could go to a psychologist or a a psychiatrist to get the diagnosis. And so that's how I got his diagnosis. And once it was official, it was like, head down, what can I learn? 
about this and also having to do the work on myself to not be in a constant state of, I did this to my son. And especially at the time I was still married and having his father say, this wouldn't have happened if you had put him in daycare. This wouldn't have happened if you had done this, you wouldn't have any, like he blames me for- That's harsh. Wow, like, yeah. He blames me for it. And then at the same time, knowing, I, you don't tell somebody, I think your child's on the spectrum, like unless you're like a teacher, but I looked at his son the first time I met him. I'm like, I think his son is autistic, but he never said anything. And then to learn later on that his son was on the spectrum. And I'm just like, so what you're saying is, never mind, sir. Um, Jelani was a bit different in that Jelani is autistic as well. His manifested in a much different way. He too was, again, doing things much like Jaheem ahead of schedule it was the speech that I was watching for he responded to his name but it was a speech and I was watching the sensory things because by the time it, like I understood certain things about Jaheem and Jelani very much was more of the outburst explosive um emotional reactions and that's what made me say I need to get Jelani tested because Jelani's speech was mimicking Jaheen. And I didn't know, is Jelani mimicking Jaheen or is Jelani actually displaying a speech delay like mm -hmm. Jaheen? So I was able to kind of jump on Jelani in a little bit of a sooner fashion. He didn't get, well, actually it was slightly later because Jaheen got to get into babies can't wait because I knew for sure by the time he was two. But Jelani, um, I don't think he was, I think it was like maybe three, four years old, because he was going to pre-K, when I officially said, yeah, let me go ahead and just get him tested and see what's going on. So they both officially now have a diagnosis. Um, I felt, still felt a way about Jelani getting one too, and go through those, like, am I ever going to hear my child say, hey, mommy, and things like that. Like, I kind of had to go through those things, but I don't, think I blame not in a negative way didn't blame myself as much anymore that's good because it's, it's not your fault give yourself <laughs> grace <laughs> indeed so I want to ask both of you kind of talked about it in a sense but I want to ask what is the process in getting a diagnosis because I heard both of you say it took a it took a little minute before you actually got a di diagnosis about your children having autism. So what is that process? So for me, um, you there's, uh, I wanna say it's two or three, I don't remember the exact number, of initial questionnaires that you have to fill out that kind of shows, um, I guess it's more so like proving to the doctors that there's a delay somewhere there's a certain score they have to receive on those. And from there, they get you in with um, a psychiatrist. And there's a level of, um, you. there's questionnaires and paperwork for you as a parent to fill out. And then you take the child in for a physical evaluation. Um, they ask them a number of questions or watch them perform certain things. It's all age-based and just kind of, you know, watch their behavior or whatnot, um, and I think we did have to go back and do that in like two sessions. So it's a pretty lengthy process, and 
just like anything else, they're always backed up. I think our first appointment may have been like four to six months out. I have an evaluation coming up, just we kind of moved backwards in behaviors. Um, and this week I had to, you know, schedule a re-evaluation just because it's been about two and a half years and that evaluation, the new one's not until March 4th of next year. Was that that's was that the same for you, Danya? Like so the same type of lengthy process? Very much similar. Um, initially, his their um for both of them, the primary care had some questionnaires. Um, so like with Jahim, I got the he might be autistic, and the primary scheduled you know sent the referral to um the developmental specialist, and they also sent one to Atlanta because Atlanta actually had more openings available than there were in Augusta. Um. Truthfully, I honestly think that my former spouse is probably the reason I didn't go ahead and drive to Atlanta. But I was grateful. One of the mothers at work was like, you know, a psychologist can do the diagnosis and you'll probably get in faster. So when she told me that, she gave me the name of the one that did her son. And when I got to them, much like what Quinn said, it was like, you, you know, the paperwork, I think there were, I think it took me in total maybe five hours to answer every question. Five they, hours? Mm -hmm. The questionnaires are excessive. I mean, they are pages long. They're repetitive. And I mean, it's almost like you have to be sure you said the same thing in each question. It's a lot. It's, yeah. I mean, actually the, the questionnaire itself is overwhelming. It really was. And it's emotionally and mentally overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Like you look at these things and it's like, does your child do this? And so you just basically don't cry, Dania, um, have to go through all these things and say, no, my child can't do that. No, my child doesn't do this. No, my child doesn't do this. No, my child doesn't do this. I think part of the reason it's so many of them is because certain insurance companies need this battery, this other insurance right. company needs this battery. And so then they just give you all of them. And that's what causes that repetition. But then it's like emotionally for the parent, mm -hmm. because depending on the age of the child, this child can answer those questions. When your child is like two and three years old, that that process is almost exclusively an interview with the parent about the child or the caregiver about the child. And it's like over and I cried so hard because there also is this not knowing about what you're, you know, there's certain basic things, but even like with, you know, the special education department at school and they're like, have this rotary phone and they need to know, like, it's a rotary phone. Who's got a rotary phone in their house? Why are you still using this as a prerequisite to determine if a child knows what a phone is? There were just so many little things that you didn't even realize were important. It's important for them to have fake food to play with. What? Oh, okay. Like it's important for them to have fake kitchen utensils to play with. Oh, okay, I thought this could wait till later. They need to have this now. Okay, so then you're like feeling inadequate as a parent because there's like all this stuff you didn't know. And I'm like, right. did I need to take a class before getting pregnant to know all of these things? This is like a lot. So it was emotionally taxing and time consuming, taxing mm -hmm. to get it all done and you're watching your child and your child's just you know 
being their themselves and not it's realizing like, that something's different yes yes to this day I don't think my sons realize something's different at all but I think I do, I do that on purpose um and it's just it was just a lot and like Quinn said it was time consuming I didn't see the other doctor until March 2020 that's when I got, finally got in to see them and I got the diagnosis for Jaheim in May 2019. Many, I think many people have the misconception about autism, right? So how would you describe autism to somebody who does not have a child with autism? Queen, you go first. <laughs> so, I mean, it's difficult. To, um, it's really difficult. Oh, gosh. Because it's it's broad there's no right. one type of autism like it is extremely it's, it really autism. is a spectrum and it also it all depends on who you are explaining it to you have some people who truly will try to understand and then you have people who they're just bad there's no such thing as autism um because there's the spectrum is so broad they don't even they're not rec recognizing this as an actual diagnosis. Um, so, I mean, I just try my best to explain, you know, yes, he can communicate. Yes, he understands, but he does it in his own special way. Um, there's, it takes time to, you know, figure out his style of communication. There's one thing, I guess, when it comes to kids with autism, they are, no matter the end of the spectrum they on, they're on, they're highly intelligent. And a lot of people mistake their intelligence for, oh, yes, they do understand exactly what I'm telling them. They just don't want to listen. But it does not work like that. They're so intelligent to sometimes they misunderstand the simpl simplicity of our minds. So it's really, it's, it's very hard to explain to people that don't, that don't understand or take the initiative to understand. And honestly, I can't even say myself that I explain it the same every time. It's just, I try to keep it as simple as possible just by saying their, their brains just work different than ours. It's, they, they have their own style of creativity. Cause it's really, I mean, it's not one way to explain it. I, um, I mean, Shania, you know who I, how, who I am and how I am. So hmm. <laughs> like, so from a millet, the, the, the militant in me understands that developmental standards were based upon white men. The APA wrote all of its guidelines for your hmm. proximity to how white men behave. Anything outside of white men behavior, I'm sorry, cis, hetero, white men behavior was divergent. So I take that into consideration when considering things about autism, things like that. Um, and especially looking at myself and realizing nine times, point nine nine times out of 10, I'm autistic. Um, much like Quinn said, it's how, for me, it's how the individual processes the world cognitively, emotionally, spiritually, 
energetic, like that's how, it's how they're processing everything. When I look at autism through the lens of Jaheen, well, both of my sons, energy sensitive. And so for someone who's neurotypical and not energy sensitive, that will look divergent to them. And for me, it's my sons can perceive the energy of a place before they get to it. And so for them, they react immediately. So this may be a meltdown. They may not want to get up the car. They may not want to do certain things. So for me as a parent, I can either force them or realize they might perceive something I can't perceive and I don't take them there anymore. And I just don't, like, I just don't mm -hmm. take them there mm -hmm. anymore. So like certain Walmarts, my son will sit in the car. He's like, I'm not getting out this car. And so now I don't take him to those. And it's funny because even if I check in with myself to see, should I go to this Walmart? It's almost never chosen. So my son knows something I don't know. My son knows something I don't know. That intellectual, I think people don't understand the difference, what IQ means what and, and how it relates to intelligence. IQ is simply how you, how fast, how well you're able to perceive, not your ability to perceive, just how fast how you're able to engage that information. So it's not that my sons can't engage information at all, but you have to learn their learning style. And I had to learn my son's learning style. Autism is one of those things where they, you have to be invited into their world. Much like Quinn said, they're processing the world and everything through a much higher lens and we have to be able to catch up to them. Right. And from a speech thing, it's like, both of my sons are gestalt language processors. I had to learn what that meant. They learn instead of like how neurotypical children learn sounds, then sounds come together to make words, words come together to make phrases and sentences. My sons learn sounds, then phrases. And then they learn eventually that the phrases break down into words mm -hmm. and that's how they learn. So it's just simply a matter of being invited into their world to learn how they learn and how they communicate. Now, this may be a, I don't, I don't know if this question is a politically correct question. It's just me trying to understand because I had a student who I felt had autism. He had no speech delay or it was nothing to do with speech, but he had, he showed, you know, a spectrum of autism, but he just didn't have speech problems. Is that something that is typical or normal? Or is it always yes. going to be a speech impediment as well? So no, it may not always be an impediment. Um, it The speech, it comes on all different levels. Um, sometimes it can be excessive language. Sometimes it's nonverbal completely. And um, as she mentioned earlier, um, they can start off very well and advance in language and then language will cease. Yeah. Um, so it's it's always different. And the, the notion that speech delay is like a telltale sign is such a misconception. And that's why girls often get mis undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. girls don't always typically you'll see more in this when I learned and even watching that just going to speech therapy boys often will get that speech delay but it's not necessarily 100% if you listen to Jelani speak and that's the only thing you paid attention to you would not think Jelani's autistic and he mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. but and that's why they that misdiagnosis, it's such a wide range of things. How do they react to certain things? How are right. they socially? 
the social thing, I think is almost the better thing to look at because yeah. then that will tell you so much more. Right. Especially, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, with Braxton, um, parallel play was a huge, huge thing. He would play beside a child or near a child, but would not directly interact with the child. Um, now, I mean, we've been through ABA and all of that, so that's much better. Now, I mean, now he'll just, you know, walk up and have a conversation with the child. But, you know, prior to diagnosis and even early diagnosis stages, that parallel play was huge. Um, he would literally, like I said, sit right next to a kid and play. They would try to interact, and it was like all hell would break loose. Like, we were good playing beside each other. Why did you just try to share with me? or do anything with me. So yeah, that was hard. And even um, something she mentioned before, which I've, it was, I've just, Braxton is four now. And I want to say, honestly, just this, this year, 2023, have we been able to make, I guess, what society would say normal trips to Walmart. Um, that was that was a trigger for him. So that kind of, that caught my attention to what she said. I don't know. I, I have no idea what it was about the store. It's we could be a, a great day and we pull into the parking lot and it, it's over from there. Even, you know, some days it's like, I have to do this. I don't have anywhere for you to go. So you have to come to this store with me. I mean, he would lay face down in the cart screaming until we left out of the store. Which one? Now I'm curious. I'm sorry. Uh, it, Which it didn't matter. Any um, any. Um, it, but we mainly went to the the Walmart here in Grove Town, but um, it was literally just Walmart. Even if he was um in the what we call in the country with my grandparents, and they went to Walmart, it was a trigger. It was just something about the store that. We have meltdowns in Walmart, big ones. It's, I will just give this to you. You take it away. And then you might ask me something later after Shanita's podcast. Um, one thing my mother said is the lights, they can hear and see things in a way we can't. I was just And the humming of the lights could easily be a thing. And for me, the lights look different in super Walmarts versus neighborhood markets. I can't take my son to any neighborhood market. The only super Walmart we can go to is Bobby Jones. That's the only one we can go to. I can't go to any other Walmart with my son. It is only the Bobby Jones Walmart. I'll also say the energy at Deansbridge Road, Riceboro Road is trash. So like, mm -hmm. it, it is, it's trash. Energetically, I feel ick and I feel like I need a spiritual bath anytime I go to one of those. So like him- I feel that way at Walmart in general. Just don't right. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot that of energy. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's so much. And I think sometimes we discount the fact that our kids are so much closer to source than we are, they haven't been True. bogged down and disconnected. True. And so things like, you know, like my son, I would like anything to cover his eyes and see, like play with those shades and see if that works. Then, you'll know, maybe it's the lighting headphones. Maybe he can hear the lights because yeah, Walmart can be a lot, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot for me. Like I, I honestly, hate going into walmart I delivery the walmart plus is a blessing <laughs> delivery to my house so i gotta deal with yourself 
I, unless I absolutely, I'm, I mean, I'm usually, I'm not going to lie, I'm a Target girl anyways, but if I'm a Target Instacart type girl, so I'm, I literally try to avoid the outside anyways, but it's just like you said, Walmart is whatever I can do to avoid it. I try my hardest. I love it. That makes me feel good. It's not just my son. Thanks for that. Oh, no. Like when you said that, I was like, ooh, because it's like now it's a little bit more comical than when we were actually in the moments. But we would literally like even between me and my grandparents kind of dealing with him because the daycare situation with autistic kids here is absolutely awful. Um, But it's just like it was always a running Can joke. Can you elaborate of, on that a little bit? Not to cut you off. Like how is the with, daycare system with somebody oh, who has autism? So, it, so the daycare situation is it's awful anyway. Um, most places that you call, they have a wait list that's out two, three years right now. Um, yeah. This is a yeah, very congested area. Um, I'm not a huge daycare fan anyways. Um, I did not. I wasn't a daycare kid. So it's just it the environment for me. Even as an adult, just walking in, it's overwhelming. It's just kids running everywhere uncontrolled, and it's a lot. But um, you have a lot of daycares also that just they don't take children with autism. They don't have the resources or the staff. So it's it's right. more safety issue, and it's completely understandable. But as, you know, a single parent that, being in the medical field and literally, you know, you need every dollar that you can make to support your child and make sure they have the proper resources. Childcare is, is awful. I believe there was a, I had a friend who worked at an autistic, autistic daycare, but I believe that was only in like Aiken or North Augusta or something like that. I don't know if we have one in Augusta, actually. There's a few that Take them, but I don't know, you know, if they specialize in just care for um for autistic children. And you know, my sons are homeschooled. So daycare for me, I mean, I wasn't a huge um, much like when I didn't go to daycare as a little person. Like my mom was home until we were old enough to go to school. So we we never went to daycare. Um we had a babysitter until I was like eight, nine. And then once I was old enough to be home with them, then we stayed at home. So there, there wasn't like a, a, ever a daycare type of situation. And when my sons developed, you know, um, developed or their autism presented, um, the idea of them being someplace and not being able to communicate to me that something happened was entirely too terrifying. There was just no way I could do it. And they're homeschooled because the teacher said something to me um, regarding my son that made me so angry. It took everything I had not to send something to the school to like take care of that. Um, so yeah, I, can, I can't imagine daycare because I've never heard of one that had the resources. The Richmond County schools don't even have the resources. So I can't imagine the daycares would have it. They don't. Um, they, they honestly don't. And um, so I... My ex-husband was military. So as 
we were here in the Augusta area initially when Braxton was born. So childcare was my grandparents. We were thank you know lucky enough to not have to deal with the daycare setting. He they did come over here too. <laughs> and, um, listen, I wish <laughs> I want I need them back. But no, we got stationed in New Orleans, and Braxton was ten months old then. But we were able to get him into. Um, a daycare that was actually at a private school. So it was very personal. It was very, you know, one-to-one. -one. We hadn't had the diagnosis of autism at the time, but we didn't, we didn't have a, many issues um, with that. Then getting relocated back here, that was when really all my problems started. Um, there was just, there's very few like I said, autism resources in the area. We did do ABA. Um, the first one that we did, we it was great, amazing. But there's levels to the ABA. So he kind of, I guess, aged out of that one and moved on to another one. And the experience was absolutely horrible. Um, he actually did not even complete his term there. I pulled him out and just stayed home with him from there. But... Now, with speech and everything, he is much more verbal um, now and can definitely, you know, tell me anything that happens. And he expresses himself very well. Um, so we recently, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I teach. So he's back in the daycare setting and we are moving backwards in behaviors. So it's honestly not even something I recommend for kids on the spectrum if it's avoidable. You both kind of, you both kind of talked about your exes who kind of played a part in how they made you feel. How do, how do you think they, and I hope this is not coming off harsh, but how do you think their perspective shaped how your energy was when you were going through first finding out about your children having autism? Um, <laughs> uh, so it's evolved. I, I'm going to give him credit. It is very much evolved. Um, when Jaheem first stopped speaking, it was very much, you know, it was on me. He should have put him in daycare, yada, yada, yada. But then in the same breath would say something about his oldest child. So his child was his, from his previous marriage didn't speak until he was three pause sir that's not quote unquote normal that he should have been talking before that what do you mean he didn't speak until he was three help me to understand and then having met his son I immediately was like oh like I didn't say it to him but I was like this child has special needs I didn't necessarily think autism but I definitely felt special needs but I don't feel like you know men especially black men that pride especially in your son is so strong like, there's nothing wrong with my son. There's nothing wrong with my child. So initially, Chris was not, like, trying to hear it. He really was not. He wasn't trying to hear it. And it was a challenge because it just, everything fell on me. Getting him into babies can't wait. Getting him into speech therapy. Getting him to and from where he needed to go. Um, when he got into babies can't wait, they let him get actually get into pre-K early for early intervention. And I had to, um, you know, I was leaving work 
running to take Jaheem to school, running to pick Jaheem up, take Jaheem home. Like I just did a lot of running for him. I still do. Um, but it's like he asked more questions, but early on it was a challenge because it was the, I felt alone. It's like, I'm dealing with this all by myself. You're not, you don't come to the appointments. You don't have to fill out the questionnaire. You don't have to answer all these questions. When he went to, we went to the pre-K evaluation, he was so, he was present, but not. And so for me, it was this feeling of I'm doing this all by myself. And it is so mentally and emotionally taxing on any parent, but to have to carry the weight of it by yourself, like we need therapy for our sons, like sons therapy. Like mm-hmm. I, we need therapy for our kids therapy. My sons go to, both of them go to speech therapy. Both of them go to ABA therapy. And Jaheem also goes to occupational therapy. So then there's this other layer of, they got to get to all these places. Right. I live in Hepzibah and 90% of the services are in Columbia County. Yes. So I'm driving 20, 25, 30 minutes one way to get them wherever they need to go. Speech and OT are so short of a session, it's, I might as well stay and wait for them. Uh-huh. And then I have to take them back home. And so then there's this, again, trying to balance it all. And you're the only, in some cases, the only one. I get so happy when I see fathers dropping their kids off. And it was recently, my car had broken down and it's getting fixed, but their dad went to work late one day. So he was like, I can drop them off at therapy. Say less. Here's the address. Here's where you you go. Here's here, here you go. And then he texts me later and it's that aha moment. He won't admit that's what it was, but it's an aha moment. He says, so you drive them out there every day, every day, every day, mm-hmm. every, every day. Jaheen, they go to, there is not one day a week other than Saturday and Sunday. My sons aren't going somewhere in Columbia mm-hmm. County. Yes. So it's, not having that and I see people who have it but not being able to have that that's that's a whole other beast a whole other conversation that makes it even more mentally taxing like I I completely understand because like I said we our last ABA did not work out so I did end up pulling him out but we're still in speech and OT and then pre-k now so yeah it's it's constant moving around that I, I hate that you all have to travel so far just to get good resources for for some odd reason Augusta just refuses to have resources for children that quote unquote they seem disabled or special needs or whatever the case may be there's no resources here and you got to sell drugs in order to be able to afford it that part Literally, the insurance isn't covering it. I have to drive from here to yesteryear. It's it's just baffling to me. And then in insurance, that's that's an entire different beast. In all honesty, I mean, thankfully it worked out. But Braxton has been at the same speech and OT place since we moved here, so he's been. I've been back about two years now. He's been there, but all of a sudden they were like, "Hey, just be on the lookout." 
or if possible, do you have a secondary insurance because TRICARE may be breaking their contract with us so we won't be able to see him anymore. Oh, wow. And that's stuff that you just, you go check in for your normal day and get information like that. Right. So it's, it's, it's always something, no matter what. I had to get Katie Beckett because when both of the boys got diagnosed, I was still at ADP. And so I made too much money to actually get Medicaid or anything else, but my insurance would not cover enough of the cost, like, or at all. So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, it's gonna cost like five, six, seven hundred dollars a week. What? Mm-hmm. I, I don't work How at the pink. That? I don't know what to tell you. I don't right. work at the pink. Okay. I, yeah. So I had to get Katie Beckett, and Katie Beckett in Georgia, you like to have to sacrifice several virgins in order to acquire it, but. Thank God I was able to get it for both of them. So they're on Katie Beckett. That's the only reason they're able to have services now is because Katie Beckett. Um, Katie Beckett is a program that lets you apply for Medicaid and they do not take your income into consideration. It is specifically geared towards supporting parents with children that have special needs and disabilities that need to get medical treatment and services and insurance is not enough or won't cover it. So Medicaid covers it all. And so they you apply for Katie Beckett, they make you send all, all, all the paperwork. Like this is not something you can fax. You need to send a packet, the box like this big with all your paperwork in it, IEPs, the whole nine yards. But if you get everything in and get it right, they'll there's like they'll just approve it. And so my sons are both have been on Medicaid even before I got laid off. So they've been on Medicaid this whole time and been able to go and still get their services that's, and I don't pay anything never heard of that's yeah I was that that is good because that's something I've never heard of either um been definitely blessed enough to at least have his dad take care of the insurance and but um that was a program that I wasn't aware of either no I was saying all these lovely resources that we're hearing about like I never heard of Katie Beckett never seen it across a Facebook post, nobody's mm-hmm. ever talked about it. Yeah. I I guess I got lucky. Like I was one of those, like I was still at work. So when I got the diagnosis for Jaheen and I was trying to figure things out and then realizing so many other people at the job who also like my best friend whose son and things like that. And I'm like, well let's put pull our heads together, you know, have a support group. And one of the things I did was invited whoever would come. So it used to be, I can't remember the name of it. I do remember um, you having that support group at ADP. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the ABA places, it's not where my sons go. My sons go to reaching milestones, but one of the ABA places close to Wingstop. I'm sorry. I don't remember its name. I remember it's close to Wingstop. Um, I reached out to them and asked them, I said, would you come to my, to the job and talk to us? And so that's where I learned about Katie Beckett from. She came in and she laid it out. Like, here are some things that you can do. Y'all, all of y'all probably make too much money to get Medicaid, but you still going to need some money to pay for this. So here's about how much it costs. This is what Katie Beckett will do. And then one of your former coworkers, Shanita, she told me how to get the paperwork approved. She, uh, she worked down there and she started coming to the meetings and she just had a wealth because she, her son was older. So she just had a wealth of knowledge and it's so many, it's the black families that don't get the knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's us. We don't, we don't have the resources. Cause like 
just being honest, I live on the blacker side of town. My yeah. sons aren't in school. My sons may have actually still been going to school if we were in Columbia County. That's just being honest. That's just being honest because Richmond County schools removed the ABA classrooms. There are no ABA classrooms in the Richmond County schools. Oh, wow. Or is there ABA classrooms in Columbia County? So my son is in class and when he went back for kindergarten, he had still not yet been potty trained. I like that other people need to understand like potty training may last years mm-hmm. when you have a child on the spectrum because it's not simply cognitive. If they have a sensory processing thing, there's an also sensory thing associated with it that makes it a challenge. I didn't know and, that. Oh yeah, like Jaheem, yeah, it was it was a lot. And the teacher was like, our t- classroom is traditional. When I reached out about making sure she that someone took him to the bathroom, he's not gonna mand or ask to go. You need to, someone needs to tell him, you know, like take him to the bathroom. Well, you know, we have a regular traditional, did, did you just tell the mother of a child with special needs how regular and traditional your classroom is? Yeah, no. Okay, IEP meeting, she had nothing to contribute. They do testing. Well, your son's really not reading on the kindergarten level. You're a dirty lie. My son reads on the third and fourth grade level. He's not reading for you, but he reads on the third and fourth grade level. And then I think the icing on the cake was she t- reached out in the little school thing. It's like, hey, I got, so at, I at least have one good thing to be- say about your son. One good thing? Wait, what? I at least have. <sighs> And he made it to the classroom all by himself today. Pause. Has my son been struggling to get to your classroom? Have you been letting my son? That's it. That day, wrote the letter. Withdraw my son today. Immediately. Immediately. He had been crying. He had been going to that school for pre-K two years. No issues. But all of a sudden, he gets into kindergarten. There's a problem. But in pre-K, they had a special needs classroom for the pre-K students. And I'm Gen X. When I was... They had a special needs classroom for kids when I was in school. They sometimes came into our classroom, but they also had their own classroom where they got support. And all of a sudden he's in kindergarten. He doesn't have that. And they didn't have somebody in the class with him. It was a pro- he, maybe a month or two before I pulled him out when they finally got a teacher to come to the class and work with him. And then she says, my God, your son knows sight words all the way through fourth grade. I know. He has to be comfortable with you mm-hmm. so that he will show who he is. If he's not comfortable with you, he's not going to show you. Right. But honestly, with any kid, and that's just me coming from a teaching background, any child has to be comfortable with you in order to show you adequately what they can do. Heck, I was like that as a kid. If a teach, If I was not meshing with a teacher good, they would think, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. But in other classes, they was like, she is our brightest kid. Yeah, and my mom would say, oh, what did what did the teacher do? She would have to ask me, what did that teacher do to make you upset to where you would show that you don't know anything? And that's where it was like, she would find out going forward in my school career, if I had any problems in the classroom, it would be, I felt like a teacher did something. Yep. It's... And not every teacher can teach every student. Jelani's teacher, it was such a night and day difference. She recognized Jelani was autistic before I got the diagnosis and said, I thought he was autistic. So she started moving accordingly. Jelani didn't want to answer questions in front of everybody. 
And so she pulled him to the side through the same thing. And all of a sudden she's like, why does son know all this information that no other kid knows? Like, mm-hmm. it, 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 like she's like, why can't he name every dinosaur in the world? Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> That's what he do. Name dinosaurs. That's dinosaurs, planets. Oh, yes. Look, yes, yes, yes. I want to ask so, one last question. The question: How do you make them feel like there's nothing different from about them from anybody else? This with me, honestly, like I just, I haven't even brought it to his attention that there there is something different. In all honesty, I mean, I don't. I try, you know, not to treat him any different um there's not really been a situation happen yet where anybody else has pointed out that he's different so I mean at four right now it hasn't really become an issue for me and with my my sons so I don't tell them they're going to therapy the only reason even one of them knows the word therapy is because Therapy Trails has therapy in the name. And that's where they go to um, speech therapy and Jaheen goes to OT. But if it wasn't for that, ABA is circle time. That's where they go. They go to circle time. They go to circle time. They have school at home. Um, my next door neighbor has a son who he's um, has Asperger's. But he presents more neurotypical than anything else, which is why I like for them to play with them. But there hasn't been saying, hey, he asks questions. But they don't perceive themselves to be different from my neighbor's son. And that's because too much like Quinn, I haven't said, hey, you are autistic. You're like, no, I just, I learned what needs to happen, how I need to move in accordance with how they move. And it's more so me making sure other people don't treat them like they're different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you guys had other people treat them like they're different? Family members or anybody? I haven't so far good i have i haven't because i think i'm also like mad anally proactive like fyi <laughs> like for a while like jelani didn't want to wear clothes so it's like you know when you come to my house you just don't have to be comfortable so i'm gonna be naked and i don't know what to tell you um <laughs> but that's me. like i don't wear clothes either like, <laughs> but like, no, I don't, like, I don't like, know if that's like an autism thing or if that's just like a boy thing like <laughs> i was gonna say my son walks around in his we don't wear clothes. Oh, is that a boy <laughs> thing? Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure. Like, Jelani's somebody's uncle walking to the door with no clothes on. Like, I didn't know, yeah, like, yeah, I, what that was. That, that might be, that might be just, you know, that boy, that boy. an age-appropriate age oh. thing, yes. That, and then clothes are so, I guess for me, because I have eczema, they're restricting, they, they feel uncomfortable, you don't want that, anything yes. abrasive on your skin. So if I do have on clothes at home, it's something of, like, a nice, cottony feel that and it's it's just like my my dad sometimes he doesn't treat them different but I have to remind my dad they can learn different so mm-hmm. Quinn mentioned this earlier and I was thinking about this you think you're to getting your point across and what I'll end up doing is saying he's not understanding what you said don't say the same question three times the exact same way you need to rephrase what you said Yes. So that he understands what you said. This is, I, honestly, this has been so informative. And I have like 5,000 more questions that I could possibly ask you guys. But <laughs> like I said, I wanted to respect your time. And I know we all have things to do. So thank you guys for answering these questions. And as we close out, 
are there any is there anything that you would like to give another mother that could help her on her journey of raising children with autism be patient with yourself um i feel like when we're dealing with children with special needs we focus so much on the needs of the child that we forget about us um and that's for any mother in general but especially our single mothers our mothers that are doing this alone without that support system give yourself grace um it's difficult it's very difficult medical background no medical background no matter what it's hard so just be gracious with yourself i love it um i would say don't compare don't read no book don't do mm -hmm. nothing but pay attention to your child that's 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 where the magic is when you watch and you pay attention to your child they will show you how to engage with them you'll learn what works in terms of I don't want to use discipline because I'm totally like leaving the slave master mentality. So in terms of structure, in terms of them being organized, in terms of them being safe, in terms of them moving in accordance with themselves, watch your kids. Don't watch anybody else's kid and don't compare how you raise your child to somebody else's. That's not your kid. This is your kid. Do what you need to do for your child and leave everything else that you've ever learned. Throw it in the trash. Learn your kid. I think that actual work for mothers in general both of those things really resonate with me and just any mom because it's hard but again I thank you guys for joining I thank you guys for bringing a wealth of knowledge I've learned so much just about the different resources the resources that we don't have and that we need to bring to Augusta and I've, I've just learned so much and I thank you guys and I hope this was great for you as it was for me Definitely, definitely. Loved it.